and welcome to Polly Pages. Books. <laughs> the podcast where genuine Polly people read the texts that have shaped our community and culture. I'm Claire. And I'm Sebastian. And on this season, we're reading The Ethical Slut, third edition, by Janet Hardy and Dossie Easton. going to be reading chapter two of the ethical slut by janet w hardy and dossie easton i said it right i'm very proud of myself uh so chapter two is called myths and realities and um this was a denser chapter it was it we thought it was going to be shorter we were wrong it it might have been technically shorter, but it, it covered more ground. Yeah, and in the third edition, which is the one that we're reading, there's even, like, this fun exercise. So we've, as always, we've read this chapter separately, and now we're going to discuss it live. Well, yeah, live. Live. We, we haven't discussed it yet. Yeah. Whatever happens, <laughs> we'll see. Okay, so the this chapter is a lot about kind of conceptualizing the... The move in from monogamy to polyamory. Yeah. Do you think that's kind of a good summary? Yeah, sort of. Or breaking the. Breaking down what they quote believe is the, um, the most like. What does it say? <laughs> okay, the ideal of lifelong monogamy as the mo- as the only proper goal for relationships is so deeply buried in our culture that it is almost invisible. And I think the purpose of this chapter is to at least make people aware that that's there so there can be a consensual choice to choose that way of having a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think they, I mean, they outline even some of the, the history of how, how it came about that, that we now, that society at large looks at monogamy as this sort of normal construct of things and how that evolved from just the so industrial everyone time. knows every time you say normal we're doing air quotes air quotes air quotes yes there needs to be i wish we had like um like a ding ding or yeah. something but we we're, we're just not, we're gonna we're, go ding ding before ding, every ding, no because <laughs> we use air, air quotes, quotes. Ding, ding, so often <laughs> Yeah, so they, they do give us brief, um, they go yeah. all, the way, all the way back to like agrarian cultures yeah. when you had these huge families um, yeah. that had to kind of like stick together so no one would die. Yeah. Or fewer people would die mm-hmm. um, because there was a lot of work to do. There's, they call yeah. it the, the work of staying alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where we kind of get this traditional family values um, and family structures with like extended grandparents and aunts and cousins mm-hmm. um, and, and so within those societies controlling sexual behavior was super super important because mm-hmm. it would uh, basically make sure that for example you were only supporting children that were yours right right or mm-hmm. you were keeping wealth what little wealth you might have had as yeah. as a rural consolidated as a rural agrarian, yeah. violently economically deprived family, mm. you keep that wealth and, and like the food and everything in a in a pool of people that you can yeah. like, quote unquote, ding ding trust. Yeah. Right. Well, and then it talks about that in the like the industrial revolution, like controlling, like the spaces of families. So like in the traditional family values, big families were fine, but it kept everybody linked together. And then when you hit the industrial revolution cities and crowding they wanted to like there was sex negativity and trying to keep um you know reduce children and urban crowding i guess is how they're like looking at it and how they started to like masturbation was unhealthy that's where a circumcision became a big thing again yeah like historically speaking this all kind of happens around the industrial revolution and i think what's interesting that i found interesting from this chapter in this part of the chapter, rather, is that this controlling of sexual behavior becomes an issue in classes of society that it didn't previously. Hmm. So, like, I, I kind of get the impression that pre the Victorian era, you could, if you had, like, lots of money and wealth, it didn't yeah. really matter if you had, like, mistresses and other things. Right. It was really more of a an economic boundary. Right. But then with the Industrial Revolution, there, there becomes, like, this this explosion of 
mm-hmm. se- what they call sex negativity, sex negativity or sexual mm-hmm. repression in even like I'm going to say quote unquote like higher strata mm-hmm. of society yeah um and I love, really like this quote, as any fan of Victorian porn can attest. Um, <laughs> I did that. I don't think I've ever seen Victorian porn, but I know that I I'm going to go and have a look yeah, for it. Yeah, perhaps I want to check yeah. that out. Um, and then, uh, you know what, they, they go hot hog because they start talking about Nazis. They do, they dive right into it. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so they're, they're linking in, in that, the way that um, psychologists, German psychologists, linked shame to political rhetoric right well they made this sort of like logical jump from sex relates to morals which relates to how you're going to respond to an authoritarian authoritarian government and camps and and all this other stuff yeah and Um, i guess also it's a question of free will like if people are people aren't being constrained by shame crippling mm-hmm. shame all the time yeah they'll just go around and do things that they right. want to do right and what if those are things that we don't want them to do and yeah. um which is i like i get it because yeah. i feel like even now more um like the sh- the currency of shame is still i think yeah, it's, it's still drives, there just in different ways now yeah I mean, in the same ways but yeah um, I, I agree. I mean, they do speak about later on, or is it now? They speak a little bit about how um, how religion, a little bit later in the chapter, they talk about mm-hmm. how religion comes into that, and as someone who is mm-hmm. technically Catholic, I'm well aware of how Catholic guilt is still around. Mm-hmm. Um, so then, obviously, now we're in the 20th century, and a lot of the these Victorian sex negativity and authoritarian shame... And the agrarian necessity of mm-hmm. the life lifelong monogamy mm-hmm. has kind of gone away. Now but, we have the economic right to divorce. We're able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, although I think we should probably note that that's a problem now. Divorce? Yeah. Because I feel like... Uh, divorce rates are, have obviously continued to increase. Mm-hmm. But among certain economically vulnerable areas of society you and in country other countries that where mm. women don't have the like the economic empowerment that mm-hmm. let's say i would enjoy if i wanted to divorce somebody mm. um they end up having to stay in like really really toxic marriages yeah. and and households yeah and that's desperately yeah, that's also that's desperately sad i mean an issue of of just the the way that marriage is structured in some of those countries as well. I think there's a... Yeah. Sort of linked. And but, I guess, well, they say this, right? Marriage today is no longer essential for survival. Right. So why do people get married? Because they want to, or because it gives you, as they've said... Um, it gives you, like, the Comfort, security, yeah. sex, intimacy. Um, Emotional connection. Yeah. Which obviously you can't have without well, marriage. <laughs> um, only they brought that up a little bit later on. <laughs> You're jumping the gun here. Yeah, sorry. Um, um, but yeah, I mean, so I think... They, they kind of conclude this part of the chapter by saying, there are no culturally approved scripts for open sexual lifestyles, and we need to write our own. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what this book did, right? Yeah. 20 years ago. They were like, hey, look at us. Yeah, I mean, before before the ethical slot, I think that polyamory was really linked to a, a pagan background. Mm. Which, I mean, neither of us are pagan, and we're both polyamorous, mm-hmm. so clearly it has become disconnected. But I think this is this was a book that really uh, gave people the beginnings of that script and encouraged people to go and find their own... Right. Slothood, yeah. Whatever. Well, just to to. Um, just to do what felt right. It says find the right way for you. Um, actually, I'm gonna read that whole quote because I liked it. You may find the right way for you, and three years from now, decide you want to live a different way, and that's fine. Yeah, which is really nice. You write okay. the script, you get to make the choices, and you get to change your mind too. Yeah. And that's great. I like that as well. Oh, you're so cute.
He's smiling. It's not my fault. She's smiling too. (laughs) Okay, so then they had an exercise in here. They asked us to make lists of all the people we could think of who were non-monogamous. I'm guessing apart from like our friends and each other. Um, So including public figures, characters from TV, movies, books, etc., um, and then to kind of investigate like how we felt about them, what we could learn from them, and what they told us about the kind of slut that we do and don't want to be. Mm-hmm. So did you make a list? I, I just thought it. of one more, so I'm going to include it. Okay, go ahead. Um, I did. I can only think of a couple. Okay. I could um, think of a few, so... Um, the first one I actually thought of was April from Parks and, Lu- uh, Parks and Recreation. In the first two series, she's dating a gay couple. Oh my gosh, you're right. I didn't even think And they make, one. it's like the super low-keyest, they're so like, this is my boyfriend, and this is his boyfriend, and he's gay, except for with me. And like, that's it. And then they just show up periodically for two seasons, and then they disappear. Yeah, you're right. I actually had completely forgotten about that. Uh-huh. And I also love Pox and Rack, and it really shows that you've watched it like four times. <laughs> this year. Oh my god, it's, More... only, it's only February. <laughs> oh no, wait. Four times since October. Oh it's been god. a rough year. <laughs> I can't watch YouTube shows. And then, um, um, oh, I never thought about that. And then, of course, like she ends up in this really, like, I think just the most ultimately adorable like, relationship. Yeah. Um, and, I yeah, but I com- I had completely forgotten yeah. about that. Good one. Okay, who else um, did you get? I also thought there's this TV show, which is actually a book that I haven't read either, called The Magicians. On oh, I've, I've watched some of that. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of them. Um, Margot and Elliot, I think his name is. But they're a couple, but they're both, like, queer and, like, open and just very relaxed about it. And really super partying. pansexual. Yeah, just super pansexual and free. Mm-hmm. And, like, but just recently towards the end of it, spoiler alert, they, like, have been, like, separate and doing their own things, even though they're, like, really close. And then they, like, profess their love to each other again and sort of bring it back together. And, like, they did, oh, like, okay. a... So which I thought like, was really sweet. That is really sweet, but there seems to be a lot... Are those the only two you came up with? No, and then I also thought about the Andrisks in um, this oh. book that we read, which is a fictional book. Oh, but... yeah, okay, so this is a great book and, like, would be really fun for everyone to read. We probably won't read it because we've already read it. <laughs> and we're on the, <laughs> we're on the sequel already. Um, it's called The Long Way um, to a short, Small Angry Planet. Yeah, Small Angry Planet. It, I always get those words yeah. wrong. It has such a huge cult following and it's so good. It's so um, good. But it really does explore, like, these other ways of of organizing friendships and romances and sexual partnerships yeah. just even just relationship any kind of relationship it's kind of like a soap opera mm. but in space and with several different species which is super <laughs> a soap fun. opera in space I like it. is those all the ones that you got um yeah i've been trying to think of more and i feel like there's a few more that i've considered okay go ahead but no, I just, I feel like there's more in my head and I can't think okay. of who they okay. are. Okay, shall you know I give I mean? you my list? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So first one I came up with was Ambrose Spellman. Ambrose Spellman. So in the Netflix, um, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh yeah, I've heard it. I haven't seen it though, so I right. didn't count it. I knew that they talked about... He's, he, he made me feel like me because he's British, pansexual, and like, he's just the best. I love him. He's the best character. If I ever got a chance to meet... Chance um, Pomodoro, I think is the pop. I can't remember. I don't remember how to say his last name, but I would absolutely love to meet him. Not only is he pansexual, so he has um, relationships with sexual relationships with um, both men, women, which is warlocks. Oh, spoilers! Sorry, <laughs> um, but he's also uh, you know he does. There needs seems to be no problem with that polyamory, mm-hmm. and there's also a, a set of orphaned triplets who seem to share Ah. there's a lot of polyamory in that show actually and it's quite um normal Mm. also about um lady gaga in american horror story hotel i I can't remember the name of her character okay so she's i think you're gonna tell me that lady gaga is poly polyamorous it wouldn't surprise me she's very she's very like yeah you know um, I was gonna say that's just news to me. Not that I'd be surprised. Yeah, although you know it's her businessman. Yeah, doesn't um, matter. No, in American Horror Story, she plays the like I, spoilers. Head, we have to put spoilers at the beginning of this one. <laughs> <laughs> the head vampire or whatever, and 
She takes several lovers. Um, there's also Judy King from Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. She gets dropped off by her boyfriend and husband. Oh. And has other and has other relationships during the seasons that she's mm-hmm. in, um, whilst incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And frequently makes note that her boyfriend and her husband are like together. Mm-hmm. Not, I think, in any sexual way, but like, oh, can you please check on the boyfriend? You know how emotional he gets mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm. And the final one I came up with was the Underwoods. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because they have this open marriage, which I thought yeah. I, I've always loved. I was yeah, always like, I like that. I was like, goals. Yeah. <laughs> um, Good one. Thank you. So, yeah. yeah. That's kind of the exercise. Um, cool. There are probably loads more. I guess people could send in their voice notes of... Yeah. Of, let us know if you can think of other... Yeah. And also let us know um, how do you feel about each of them and what can we learn, positive or negative, and what do they tell you about the kind of slut that you do and don't want to be? And mm. I noticed that from yours, a lot of them start off consensually non-monogamous but end up in a monogamous relationship. And the ones I could think of, none of these people that I know of end up in a monogamous situation. Mm. So I think that might be interesting. Yeah. I just can't think of any more. Like, I, I'm trying to think of... Mm. I feel like I've seen them in TV shows and movies and, like, they're, other things. They're becoming way more common. But I, I would also say, like, we can't think of any actual public figures. Like, like we have, like... There was that ridiculous Newt Gingrich... Ugh, I can't say his name. Newt, Newt Gingrich? Ging, yes. You can only say that with an American accent. Which is an ongoing issue. <laughs> yeah, you know, he came... He Apparently he asked his wife for this, like, open marriage. And she was like, no, you're just cheating on me. Yeah. Um, and I... Obviously, I don't like this conflation between cheating and polyamory, which we're going to discuss a bit later, and I'm sure yeah. several times in this podcast. But uh, to his, like, kind of indirect in credit it really brought everyone together being like, mm, that's not really polyamory, Newt. Yeah. Mm-mm. No. Yeah, but, it's yeah. an important distinction there. Yeah, and one that we will... We will touch we will, on. We will not just touch on it. We'll be driving we'll all it. all over it. We'll be driving it home. <laughs> really pound the point in there. <laughs> Lol, pound. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, do you want to take us to the next section? Sure. So the next section after our exercise um, was talking about judgment. Um, so we're going to talk about some different terms and sort of the connotations behind them and how they relate to sexuality and yeah. sluttiness. Oh, just before we get into it, have you ever felt judged since you've been out as polyamorous? Have I ever felt judged? Mm, no, not judged. Um, sometimes... I mean, sometimes I expect judgment, and so I withhold certain information from people. Like, I'm not all all the way open all the time, but that's probably normal. And sometimes I feel like I have to explain things that seem like they don't need explaining. Sometimes that could be so annoying. Like, I understand why, but it does really... What? It's a lot of energy. It's a lot of emotional labor to have to explain. Or re-explaining things, or having to explain that I'm not just a man whore. (laughs) I actually actually literally now just just have a screenshot of what polyamory means, and I just send it to people when they ask me. I'm just like, I'm not... Use Google. Yeah. Like... There's a dictionary. It's in the Oxford Dictionary. You know, it's not my responsibility to... Teach you English. You know what you could do? You could go and purchase The Ethical Slut, and you could read it yourself. Or listen to this podcast with me and my fantastic partner reading it. Mm-hmm. Or just send this podcast. Yeah, just do it. Okay, so let's... That would really be perfect. That sums up all of polyamory in one thing. First, we're going to explain it, and second of all... Here's, here's my here's partner. person. <laughs> Okay, okay. okay so, so have you ever been called promiscuous? Because I have. No, not. I have not. You really? Wait, not promiscuous as such. Uh, I wonder if this is going to be like a gendered thing. No, I I've been I... called other words that mean that at times. Have you ever been called indiscriminate? Because I love that they, they say, we resent being called indiscriminate because we can always <laughs> tell our lovers apart. <laughs> I, I, I wrote there, and on the side of it, I wrote Gret and Forge. Oh, that's an inside a joke, thing, but... but it's so good. <laughs> um, um, yes, okay. And then I like the next one. 
We do not believe there is such a thing as too much sex, except perhaps on certain happy occasions when our options exceed our abilities. Yeah, this whole paragraph's a great quote. It does. Yeah, actually, like Kinsey wants to find Infomaniac <laughs> as someone who has more sex than you. And scientist that he was, demonstrated his points with statistics. Um, okay, yeah. so yeah, people get called promiscuous and... Uh, that is obviously a description of having lots of sex with lots of people, maybe. But also, can you be promiscuous with one person? I actually don't know if, if that makes any sense. But no. the the point here is, like, it has a negative connotation. Right. right. Whereas um, I don't think there's anything negative about but having specifically it has lots like of an, sex with lots of people. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> um, but specifically, it kind of has, like, a, a very ethical judgment. Yeah. Like, all of these do, right? Mm. But, like, this is... But it's also a gender judgment because I think yeah, promiscuous because... would be used much more on women than. Well, I've been called it and you haven't, so. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I would agree with them, that you can measure the ethics of a good slut not by the number of partners they have, but by the respect and care with which they treat them. I agree with that. And I think that that's. Um, yeah, like. Uh, I, well, that that for me basically sums up. I think we finished the book. That's yeah, that's, really that literally like a <laughs> whole book. We we covered it in one sentence. That's polyamory. Okay. Uh, okay. Have you ever been called amoral? This no. is the next one. I have not. Nor have I. But it's a bit of a weird. Yeah, but it goes back to relating <clears throat> sex and behavior to religion or other constructs, and like linking it to your morality and shame and stuff. But it's just a control thing. I, I think definitely um i mean they they equate it that the thing they bring up here is that you can only be amoral if you're trying to kind of trick somebody mm-hmm. um out of something but yeah. you can't really trick someone out of something they're willingly going to give you right so you can't there's kind of no point being amoral or dishonest or right or something to try and get in someone's pants when they're like, hey, get in my pants. Yeah. Like, yeah. very difficult to do. Yeah. And it touches on the first time, sex as a commodity. It gets touched on a lot more, but I think that's an important, like... Yeah, the, and... The commodity, commoditization, com- commoditization. Commodification. Com- nope. Uh, commodifications with something else on it. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving yeah. on. So basically, if your sex is a commodity, if this is like a coin that you trade, mm-hmm. then any transaction um, that constitutes being cheated or betrayed mm-hmm. would be amoral. But mm-hmm. we don't think about sex that way, us ethical sluts. Just got bountiful coin. <laughs> what's, the ne- what's the next one? Uh, sinful. Oh, I... as a good Catholic, I have never been called this, but I bet I would be if my nonna ever found out actually my nonna's pretty cool I bet she wouldn't <laughs> um, um, uh, did yeah. I ever tell you about when I introduced my nonna to my first girlfriend no I introduced my nonna to my first girlfriend and um, she like didn't care like at all she was like okay does she eat trifle like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like to the important questions yeah. <laughs> I love it I was like oh okay does she like literally then asked her what she mm. eat and I, I was I wasn't super nervous about it um because I'm not easily yeah. racked with nerves but yeah. um you know I it was obviously I didn't think that she was going to be particularly happy about it I I was really surprised that's lovely yeah I know anyway sorry not right. the reaction I think my grandparents would have if I brought but that's a whole other thing oh wow but they're gonna love this podcast one <laughs> if they could figure out how to work a phone <laughs> oh my god <laughs> anyway we're gonna move on i don't even know how, what to say about sinful that goes back to the religion thing yeah i mean i i, I think this is a a a judgment that mm-hmm. underscores other ones but um yeah I, I don't know that anyone would would be like you are so sinful in actual everyday parlance parlance yeah right. next one pathological have you been called pathological no I don't think so definitely not in relation to sex (laughs) Uh, yeah I have really? yeah people have like friends have told me like you have a problem like you're a sex addict you have a problem 
Um, um, I can, I'm... And I have always said, like, I feel like I have a completely natural and perfectly healthy sex drive. Yeah. Uh, are you a psychiatrist? Uh, yeah, but they go into pathological quite a lot. They go back to Freud. kind of like Freud. Yeah, Freud. Hit Freud. Basically Freud. Um, and maybe to his credit was trying to take a sexual, what would, was being construed as misconduct out of the realm of being bad and into the realm right. of like, no, they're just sick. Like right. if only these, these lesbians, for example, got right. medical attention. Right. I don't know. If then that's... they wouldn't be gay. I don't, yeah, obviously I we hard... no longer hold that, but in the sixties, yeah, but I don't, it was quite normal to think yeah. about sexual deviancy as just being air quotes air quotes ding ding as being an illness that could be treated and potentially rectified and that obviously led to this really awful period of of history when it comes to like the way that conversion therapies and all that stuff well i guess that still happens in this country of yours it just got banned in kentucky or somewhere Oh, that's so great. It's 2019. I, I know. I'm, mm. I'm not saying that like it's a good thing. Um, and they do mention sex addiction here, which I I found interesting because, as I said, people have said that I... I mean, it's completely ridiculous. I do not have an addiction issue. Addiction is when you constantly do something that has negative effects on you and your life um, because you, you cannot stop, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. that's not. I'm not an addiction therapist, but that's my understanding. Is like you right. do something over and over again, maybe for short term gain. Yeah. But knowing full well it has long term negative effects, and yeah. I don't have any long term negative effects from, from my, safe, sane, and consensual sexual activity, and um, they give some examples of situations where you might be substituting sex to fulfill other yeah. needs, and I don't have that, so I'm yeah. not. <laughs> No problem. I I wouldn't say that you do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You would know. I would. Yeah, I wouldn't. What's the last one? Uh oh, easy. Is there we wonder some virtue in being difficult? <laughs> <laughs> right. There's still okay. a lot to go in this chapter. So, well, there's not that much more. There's there are some myths that they. We can tackle the myths more. Yeah. We can make through them. I have thoughts on some and. Yeah. Okay. Um, so then they go into these, um, move away from, from judgment words and they start talking about some myths about sluts. So again, talking about the kind of underlying fundamental, just, just believe, just because. Cultural. Cultural. Norms. And exactly. Stuff. Of myths um, right. and kind of giving, giving the slut take on it. Yeah. Um, these cultural belief systems are like rooted in so many things like right. literature law yeah i mean there's like, like you grow TV up all shows, around them um like your the parents. way people act like yeah okay. I mean, so the first one is uh that long-term relationships monogamous relationships are the only real quote quote yeah. ding ding relationships well crap i guess we're not in a relationship fuck man well goodbye mm-hmm guess we'll stop flying across the Atlantic yeah. and you can stop coming to Africa hmm. Just, wherever else yeah we wasted our time mate yeah. <laughs> um, thank god they told us <laughs> uh, so they make a really a really good point though which I, I liked which is that this is a myth that's so deeply held that when people don't don't end up in a long term monogamous relationship instead of questioning whether this is the only real relationship they start questioning themselves mm-hmm. and i ha- definitely have friends that do this mm-hmm. who are so deeply unhappy with this constant pursuit of like the long-term monogamous right. ideal mm-hmm. but instead of just being like wait a second is there a better way i could be living my life where i'm not constantly unhappy that i'm not achieving this right. they turn inwards and they start just digging at themselves and right. just convinced that like they're incomplete or they they're missing their other half and it's it can actually feel 
like I just sometimes I can feel quite like upset yeah. about it. I mean, I think it leads it. you into situations where you, um, like where you're in a really good relationship and you you've but you're stuck to these ideals of like long term committed partnerships, and so any little thing can shatter that. Whereas if you had looked at it differently, like you're thinking twenty years down the road, I'm I have to be with this one person. One little thing can splinter that. And if you start looking at it differently and you think, okay, they get into this more later, but like I can get some things from this person and other things from that person and it doesn't have to be, there's other ways to approach mm. long-term life. Then all of a sudden one thing doesn't have to splinter a whole relationship because... Which can really take the pressure off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just from a, just from a, a logistical point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very okay. true. So myth number two... Yeah, we went on a little bit of a tangent there. Yeah. Also, right. did you know a ring around the finger does not cause a nerve block to the genitals? <laughs> I mean, that's good. You have about 15 rings on your fingers. I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry. I once had 15 more vaginas than I currently have, so this... Oh, crap. I'm take them off then. <laughs> anyway, myth number two, moving swiftly onward. Romantic love is the only real love. That's some uh, bullshit. This is like, oh my god, if I could just um, redo Hollywood, this would be the thing that I would... You okay? Yeah, tight. Okay, so... Yeah, so basically, if romantic love is the only real love, then... Uh, I don't know, I feel like that's just really upsetting. Like, I mean, there is so much more than just this lust-filled... Some people call it the honeymoon period. Yeah. But I think that if you just think about that as being the only real love, you miss out on all these other different, um, if if you think, even with one person, all mm-hmm. the different types of love you can have. Mm-hmm. Like, just sometimes I'll just be sitting in the room with you and you'll be working and I'll be working mm-hmm. and I'll just look up and there's no, like, rush of tingly, like, I must have you, <laughs> like in some novella. <laughs> but there's just this very contented, like, well, love. But it's not the same mm-hmm. as the movies would have you think. Well, like, you rush across the airport and... You... I've done that. I mean, you've done that, yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, so I think that this this is a really sad myth that kind of shoots even the people that believe it in the foot. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it also diminishes, like, all other types of love in other, like, non-sexual relationships. Like, some of the people that I love the most in the world... Besides, like, my family and you are, like, other people that I'm close with that I have no... Like, friends and... Yeah, like, friends, people that I've, like, you know... Yeah, I mean, my... The only real love I've ever known is my dog, so... Well, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And that's true, true love. True love. True love I've never seen. <laughs> I honestly will never love a human baby as much as I love that dog. I, I, no. Understandable. I mean it. Yeah. Okay, I, I, I need I you know. to know. <laughs> Okay. Convince me. <laughs> okay, myth number three is that sexual desire is a destructive force, which I guess goes back to some of the, the judgment terms mm-hmm. they were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that sex equals destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you have to say about that? Yeah, I think it's all tied to, like, the purity and, and shame and morals and, um, like, control and... Yeah. Like what sex, like all these things that are tied to sex that don't necessarily have, like everything gets tied to sex, like all these abstract things instead of like letting it be its own thing and letting them be their own thing. Like if you have sex with somebody else or if you have this kind of sex, like all of a sudden means all these other things about you instead of, I don't know, you were horny or you like something kinky. Like, mm. um, Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think that... I probably noted should be noted here that for some people they do encounter sex as uh, like in the form of assault or something mm-hmm. which would be destructive and yeah. is but I think this myth is not talking about that it's talking right. about sexual desire it's talking about wanting to have right. sex and then that being twisted by society into something that's bad and I think it comes back from Victorian mm. times right when Men all of a sudden, I don't think this happened before Victorian times, but all of a sudden in Victorian times, men were just these 
predators that could never control. They're right. they're they're just rampantly horny all the time, right. and I couldn't possibly manage to control myself. But luckily, I'm Victorian, and I have God and my wife, and they keep me in line. Instead of just being like, "You're an adult," right. make that like, right. be kind. Fuck who you want. If they mm-hmm. want to fuck you too, stop. It seems to me hearing that, like, it's something that comes up now too, like the whole like when people try to justify like assault or something and they talk about like well it's because of how they were dressed or something i feel like it's another situation like that where they're like it's not really the you know like trying to shift blame like obviously if this sexual desire was could possibly come out it Mm -hmm. will necessarily destroy the object of that desire and everyone else in its path when actually the the cold fact of the matter is that sexual assault is about power yeah usually and um I don't think we should get too much into it because I think they do discuss it later in the mm-hmm. book. But it's definitely like men mm-hmm. need to... Uh, men are ruthlessly sexual and mm-hmm. that's a destructive force and women are like designed to root people down. Break it. To, keep yeah, it down. keep it down. Okay, next one. Okay, myth number four. The only moral way to have sex is within a committed relationship. Crap. Oh my god. We've we been having immoral sex. Shoot. Oh well. Um have we been doing it wrong? <laughs> we have not. No. Um so one of the things I liked when they were discussing this is this old myth that men agree to relationships to have sex. Mm-hmm. And women agree to have sex to have relationships. Now, my question to you is, mm-hmm. are you only in this relationship for sex? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's really Great, because yeah, I'm only having sex with you to be in this relationship. Perfect. We'll so, see if we, yeah, we yeah, nailed we this. Can... this. This myth is actually a fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Clearly. I think this does we kind of... Survived three continents and, and <laughs> <laughs> two years. Two because... years. <laughs> so, okay, sex is, we... The sex isn't that good. As long as the transaction is coming yeah, up equal, yeah. we're fine. Well, this comes back to the whole transactional currency exchange. of Yeah, and this whole like gender divide between mm-hmm. women secretly don't like to have sex and men secretly need to be controlled and the Mm. only way to do that is by making sex only exist with any kind of moral Mm -hmm. validity within a committed relationship um can i say one other thing that this made me think of um it talks about like how this myth like makes you see sex for any other reasons it's immoral and bad and that there's only one reason it reminded me of a how i met your mother episode where they start listing reasons to have sex and it's like a 20 minute long episode he just keeps coming back at like 50 or 60 something it's like because and then like one of them is literally just because just because and then somebody's like what because what and he's like no just because like <laughs> like but there's this whole list he's like because it was cold outside <laughs> because you took your shirt off I mean, like because i was hungry and didn't want to get out of bed there are many like, issues like, with the Barney character in that, but you got to make it pretty funny. You know, I just, I was like, I mean, and that's a little bit of a stretch, but still like, you know, like th- th- any reason that both people are happy with is a good reason. Yeah. As long as it's safe, oh. sane and consensual. Yes. Yeah. Or and you're both adults. More than both people. We should not limit ourselves. And uh, consenting adults. Consent. That's, that's what it's called. Consenting adults. Thank you. As long as all consenting adults, adults involved are the only people involved. and moving on okay so myth number five is loving someone makes it okay to control the behavior no no oh my god so angry about this this is i felt you'd have strong feelings on this one i have such strong feelings on this one this idea that like somebody trying to control you is sexy or okay is disgusting to me like do you see these photos that go around on instagram and they're like guys would you let your girl go out like this and i'm like i'm a grown-ass woman i will go out in whatever i bloody well want you think i'm coming to you and being like is this okay should i wear a jacket i don't get it it's like would you like me to wear something like no it's also it's very one-sided generally no i don't think it is you don't think so no like oh like she's she doesn't, she's like holding my hand because she needs to like assert her dominance over another right. woman who's or checked like, me out. It says something about like, like sharing drinks or something. Like, like people get very possessive over bizarre things and trying to control like. Yeah. Your... And then they don't get possessive over and controlling over other things, which mm. would be just because there's not sex involved. So like, 
I've never, I never once heard of someone controlling, um, you know, someone else's thing that they do with their brother. Like, let's say you and your brother really enjoyed playing Mario Kart. Right. And I was like, no, I don't like that you have this passion with someone else that isn't me, so you can't do it anymore. Right. I've never heard of that happening, but I have heard plenty of times of people being like, oh... You can't be friends with them because... You can't be friends with that woman on the off chance that she might make a move on you and I could never... Mm-hmm. Which I guess leaks into myth number six, which is that jealousy is inevitable and impossible to overcome and we're going to talk about that loads later. There's going to be a lot on jealousy. But I will say that they say here that many of the order bees... Order bees, I liked. Order bees. Mm-hmm. I can't say it like you can say it. Order bees. Okay, that that lead to jealousy can be unlearned and that unlearning them is often a useful and sometimes even profoundly healing process. Mm. Um, so basically people feel jealousy because they, of what they should mm-hmm. and shouldn't expect and do. Mm-hmm. And that you can unlearn that. And they're, they're setting the scene here to be like, you can unlearn that. And it's usually very healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sure that... I feel like we'll have a lot more on... We're going to have so much to say on that. I, mean, I also... I, I will just point out, and we'll probably tie into what we talk about later, but jealousy is an emotion like any other. And it is, like, I think there's also, a, I don't know where I was going this, um, but it is not intolerable. Like, jealousy is like any other emotion. Like, even if you f- do feel it about something, you have to figure out why and what the where that's coming from. It's not like a, mm. like, you can't be like, I'm jealous and... That's not an, like a, a yeah. I'm jealous, to... so therefore, I mean, just like the previous myth of control. Yeah. I feel like jealousy is usually used to control people, yeah. and need je- jealousy happens. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to happen, and also just because it happens doesn't mean you have to use it mm-hmm. in a negative way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The last myth they go into is that this myth that an outside involvement yeah. reduces. Oh, is there another one after yeah, that? There's eight of them. We're on oh, seven. Sorry. Oops. Um, is that outside involvements reduce the intimacy in the primary relationship? And I just want to point out that I'm not super comfortable with the use of the term primary relationship, but we're going to carry on anyway. So, what did you have to say about this? Uh, I mean, it's a myth. They're pointing out as a myth for a reason that I think I genuinely would say I agree with. Yeah. Um... Um, what did I highlight here? Um, I don't have as much of a problem with the term primary partner, but that's it. Besides we, the point, yeah. the the myth tells us that sleeping with someone is something you do to your partner, not for yourself, which I think is an important distinction. Like, um, a lot of this all goes back to ownership and cultural like transactions so. and 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 that whole idea like you're if you're having sex with somebody you're taking something that belongs to your partner Mm -hmm. you're taking it from them and giving it to somebody else and it's not whereas what you're really doing is doing your own thing with your own thing literally your thing with your thing um Um. but i also don't think in my experience at least like that involvement with other people has reduced my intimacy with me with you Aww. in it, a lot of the times it's actually enhanced it. enhanced it yeah, yeah. It, i completely agree with you yeah. and i also think that um that the they mention in it, like part of this myth would be like they only really cover in this outside involvement in terms of cheating mm-hmm. um and but there is there are other ways to have outside involvement in a relationship Mm-hmm. and I really like how they put like you know perhaps that outside involvement is a particular kind of connection that you just don't have with your primary partner for example in my example was that you might play Mario Kart with your brother mm-hmm. I don't want to play Mario Kart so mm-hmm. that's obviously enhancing Win-win. you which would enhance me because I care about your well-being mm-hmm. but they, the two examples that they give is such as kinky sex and going to football games <laughs> I was like, Just, yeah, those are comparable. <laughs> but they should be. <laughs> Which I love. All right. Okay, myth number eight is 
love conquers all. Um, and all I have, yeah, I just, I don't, um, so, th- okay, maybe explain the myth. Is um, like it's if a Hollywood myth. It's a Hollywood myth. Yeah. Love means never having to say you're sorry. Love um, means that you'll never disagree and that everything will be perfect forever. And that's how life works. And love is just easy because it's natural and doesn't require yeah. any work is from that, anyone. Is, this how, is that how things go? Yeah. And so therefore, if I'm not immediately aroused all the time, whenever is required by the the movie of my life, um, or if I have a disagreement with you, then it must not be love uh-huh. because otherwise I wouldn't be having problems. Mm-hmm. And I obviously this is a myth. <laughs> Right. You can real. tell from our tone. <laughs> yeah. I just highlighted a section of it and was like, I wrote work. Like, yeah. Lo- like love is work. Love doesn't conquer all. Love is something that you right. do. It's a verb. Yeah. I love you. Love you too. Okay, stop at the podcast. This one is taking it. But it is. I mean, you. The the idea. This myth basically yeah. will mean. And I see it in, um, specifically, kind of like. A generation that grew up with early Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, and where where this myth was just seeping into the culture, uh, which meant that they didn't really talk. I kind of, obviously, I can't paint entire generations with the same brush, but um, but they're about to in the next section. So whatever, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, but there was there seems to be like no communication in yeah. some some relationships because it was it was so just like absorbed that if this is real love mm-hmm. there shouldn't be any problems and I think more often than not women ended up just being quiet mm-hmm. or men just ended up being like oh yeah okay just do what you want with the house just don't involve me mm-hmm. and those people ended up drifting further apart mm-hmm. in a relationship instead of coming together so even if you choose to be monogamous um which is not a bad thing to choose yeah it's a completely you know yeah. They said something else, which I realized I didn't say before, but like... The bit about sh- making choosing, consensual Like, if choice. you're choosing to be monogamous, because that's what makes you happy, and that's what you then go for it, but just... But like, how many people are really choosing right, but it? But are you choosing it, or are you just following the script? Yeah. Like, and I guess this whole this whole chapter of this book is about bringing up that, right. that, that script, right. and being like... Okay, do you really want this? Give it a good critical look and understand the choices that you're making. And I have great friends who are in monogamous, Mm long-term relationships that have made it work over countries and distance and are now going to get married. Shout out to Karen. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. (laughs) But, I mean, that's a... I feel very much like that is a conscious choice. And Mm -hmm. it should be a conscious choice. Just like every intentional relationship should be a conscious choice and not just like, well... I guess you get married now, you know? And here we are forever. Okay. The, okay. the last little bit of this. Um, I really liked this section. I thought it was interesting. Sluthood, the next generation. Mm-hmm. Did you want to say it? No, you got it. No, you go. It sounds better in your accent. Everything sounds better in my accent. So true, so we're going to leave it there. <laughs> Why are you in here? Get out. Really, <laughs> we don't need me. Okay. Um... um. Yeah, so that again, it's harking back to the things that have changed since the last editions. Yeah. Um, and they give a bunch of uh, basically us, mm-hmm. right? The 20 somethings who have gr- grown up um, in mm-hmm. a place where. They may even be talking to people, thinking of people that are younger than us, because this book is 20. 22, I think. 22 years yeah. old. Something like so that. So people younger than. There are people that, are, could, that can read. People that can read. Yeah, who have never been in a world where this didn't exist right so what what were some of the things they were saying um i, I had the, the first sent the first line which was consent is a language yeah um and our, our generation speaks it fluently and more and more so and i think so. you're right i think because now we are mm. we are now past the kind of let's just not talk about it and it mm-hmm. will go away mm-hmm. and into a pretty widely held view that talking about things it's helps good. Yeah. yeah like just communication guys let's do it mm-hmm. um so now we can talk about consent and understanding each other and all that stuff yeah and also the things that the reasons behind that consent the mm-hmm. reasons like abuse and 
violence and um, all just being like, I just don't, I'm not really sure why, but I don't really feel like it. Seems like a good reason. Yeah, there's definitely a consent culture. And I know that they've added a whole chapter into this book about consent. We'll so we'll, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> you want to talk to the next one? Yeah, because I love this one. Mm-hmm. Gender fluidity and experimentation with gender. Um, and they say here that there is a quote saying the old definitions are morphing into a general category of queerness. And I have a question for you, which I realize I never asked you. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself to be queer? Yeah, I think I would. Uh, <laughs> you had to like th- think about that. That's yeah, I mean, I, I just don't really... <laughs> you never really thought about it? I, I have at some point, and I think more lately now. I, I mean... I think I, I could. I, I, it's not like... I guess part of this is that we, there's not the necessity to label things. But right. there's definitely been a move away from binary gender and away from sexual orientation being set right. into a general, like, we're all queer. We're all right. queer, we're all pansexual, we're all... Right, which I don't just... actually think is necessarily... I mean, I think the, the openness to fluidity and experimentation probably something that I've enjoyed. Um... <laughs> sidetracked again um but i mean i think you know queer can just it can encompass i mean if ideally the goal like the world that i would like is where everybody can do what they want with who they want as long as it's consensual then like right now queerness is to sort of identify that you're outside of the heteronormative binary cisgender Thing so I would say given the current climate yes I'm I would identify as queer. Oh, welcome to the club. We have sashes. Yeah. Would you like one? Yeah. Here you go. Um, but I mean, I mean that sort of goes back to, it's sort of a definition of what you're not. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's, it's a definition, definition away it. from. Yeah, I don't know. I think queer is is, um, I mean, it's interesting to have that in this book because queer is another term that has been reclaimed just like mm-hmm. slut and this yeah. whole book is about reclaiming mm. what a slut is and how to be mm-hmm. a, a good slut mm. right and queer is one of those like queer used to be even just a couple of generations before us queer was like a really really bad insult right it was like some very cruel words that you could use to describe gay people now mm-hmm. um and this was so successfully reclaimed. Yeah. I actually cannot think of a word that has been so successfully reclaimed. That's a good point. And so, yeah, I'd be like, hell yeah, I'm queer. But you already know that. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a much newer thing for me. So. That's true. That is true. Or, or much newer, like, realization. Not a newer thing in and of itself, but a newer thing that I've come come to in my life. That part of myself, so... I'm glad. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. We have a special handshake. (laughs) There we go. Handshake's just a high five. Love it. Okay, eco-sex is a new paradigm for many people in the teen and 20s, which means to take the earth as a powerful lover and treat her huge energies with gentleness and respect. I actually have never heard of it. Yeah, I've never heard that word before. (laughs) Reminded me of my sister, though. But, um, oh my God. (laughs) But it also, uh, I actually have heard it before in... Another book called Future Sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which, which you bought me. Yeah, you bought me this. And they have, uh, she has this whole chapter in there. We will, we might, we might do that for the next book. Who knows? Mm. But they, there is a whole chapter in there about, about, um, she doesn't call it eco-sex though. She calls it something like um, envirosexualism or something. Mm. Um, and yeah, but I'm happy it's in the book, man. Like, yeah, let's, mm-hmm. let's do it. Let's bring the earth in. It's fuck okay. a tree. Sorry. Don't do that. That splinters. <laughs> okay, on to the next. We're more aware of issues of intersectionality. Mm-hmm. So um, I did like this whole tirade on Instagram about uh, white feminism, where it's come from, mm-hmm. why it's happened, and how it's now like the opposite of intersectional feminism. Mm-hmm. And being aware of the many different ways in which historical oppression affect one another. Mm-hmm. Um, means that examples of they they even put here traditional feminism as an example mm-hmm. of a place where persons of color specifically were not realized mm-hmm. okay right um and i just want to be like they're being very self-critical by including this because their previous versions of this book 
had literally no mentions of race and color. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think so anyway. Yeah. Um, so now we're more we're more yeah. aware of that and also of cultural appropriation, um, which I think is a fair to say we're the generation, which really sees the benefit in understanding those nuances and mm-hmm. using them as good productively does yeah. stepping stones or productive stepping stones for growth tools. Yeah. Okay, do you want to take this one? Uh, because we're a post-AIDS generation, kind of, we've decentered penile penetration. Um, I mean, there's more about that, but I, I mean, I think this comes to like, what is sex and intimacy and all of that? And it doesn't, like, it can be a lot of different things. And, and to some people that like, might not be any sort of sexual contact that is, um, could qualify as real sex like mm. i mean i think a lot of some of the stuff that we've talked about on this gender comes back to like how you decide to use language and what that language means and it's yeah and i think you're right that sex and intention more than words like yeah um, i think they the i guess also with the gender fluidity mm-hmm. there are people having sex that, that may not be they may not have um I don't know, a uterus and testes, right? Which is the only way that sex has been conceived previously. Um, But the the part of this about post-AIDS, I think, is also really strong because there is a whole uh, safer culture around multiple partner relationships Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Barrier use and consent are part of that. And um, we've we've grown up in the shadow of this yeah. horrific right. just i mean I, I might even cry if i actually talk about it for too long but like that the generation has lost aids just the sheer amount of people mm-hmm. who could have been saved if for for different policies and um, better handling by the media and to think how far we've come yeah. in such a short time is yeah i'm getting really emotional <laughs> but i mean this this has shaped our generation mm-hmm sluthood so I'm um, I'm really happy about that okay, okay there are two other things I include okay. you are. do you want to take it while I just sure. collect myself <laughs> the next one is a whole long thing about politicians and the patriarchy and capitalism um, but I like the key point for me out of that one was our bodies are our own and only we should get to decide because it should, should be... Yeah, right on. Yep. This like, is a pro-choice was... podcast, and if you don't like that, then you should stop listening. Yeah, it's a pro-sex, pro-choice, pro-sex, pro sex, pro-consent. <laughs> yeah. Pro. We're, we're pros. <laughs> That's the handshake. That's the handshake. Um, and the last one... Um, we've grown up in a world where no consensual, consensual sexual or relationship behavior is considered wrong. Um, so we've seen kinky queer and poly families on television and newspapers and we want to live in a way that empowers us to try a little bit of everything and i would say we're well on our way to this yeah you can definitely even in the last few years like you can see the increase of sort of normalizing some of these things in the media in reporting of them and in not treating them like a yeah, and just the amount of role models that... Yeah. Um, I mean, when I was trying to find the language of polyamory and I was kind of stumbling through it, yeah. what, eight years ago now? Yeah. Um, or just just less than eight years ago? Um, yeah. And now we just... I mean, we you have people to point to and be like, yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, they're not necessarily like your huge, great big stars, but... Yeah. I mean... There are. We, we have some right. people. We have we have like sources you can go to there are other podcasts which we should at some point point people to and i think that is that's going we are part of that change Mm -hmm. all righty all righty well thank you for listening to poly pages let me try and do it again and close the book on that one let's close the book (laughs) Okay. okay bye You can find
find Polly Pages on Instagram at Polly Pages. And if you have any questions or comments for us, please feel free to send them to pollypages at gmail.com. Our awesome intro and outro music is by Mint Green, and you can follow them on Instagram and Linktree at Mint Green Music. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Books. <laughs>